Glad to have you here. Weather's looking great in central New York. We're learning more and more about things coming back, planning to come back, the slow but sure crawl back to whatever it's going to be. Don't want to say normal because I don't think that's the right word to use right now, but we still have to be smart. We still have to be safe. We still have to wear our masks and social distance and do what we got to do so we don't take two steps back trying to take a step forward here. So hope you're all doing that, and uh, we're glad you're here. Be a part of the program today. 437-7644 is the phone number to get on board. You can always hit me on Twitter as well, Brent Axe Media. Now, we've spent so much time discussing when college football is going to come back, how college football is going to come back. Will college football come back? All the different ways to phrase this. Amongst the other sports that we're getting daily updates on, it's kind of like the stock market. Some days it's really high, some days it's flat, some days it's way down, right? We've seen NASCAR come back, and you're going to hear that right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, the Xfinity Series race at Darlington tonight. Uh, Tomorrow... The one and only Paulie Sibilia, give him a cookie for this, doing his job. He just informed me via text message that the race at Darlington tomorrow has been moved to 5 o'clock, uh, meaning we'll only have a one-hour edition of this show tomorrow because we're going to have coverage of that race for you here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. So NASCAR's back, right? Golf is back. We're hearing about the plans to get baseball back and the NBA and the NHL kind of trying to figure it out. But the big one is football, looking down the road to football, right? So I don't want to get into the how. I don't want to get into the why. I don't want to get into the if. I actually want to discuss the parameters of football and how it's going to change something here in Syracuse. And that is how important this season is for Dino Babers. It's going to be year five of the Babers era. We have seen the ups and downs of it. We've seen the four and eight seasons. We've seen the 10-win season. We've seen recruiting ups and downs. We've seen pretty much an upset a year, right? Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida State. I think, by and large, people like Coach Babers. They relate to Coach Babers. They really enjoy the personality, the movie quotes, how relatable he is, how he is on social media, the dad jokes, right, when it's recruiting day and all the nicknames he gives his players thanks brent you're welcome coach the commercials in the community the community events that he's done by and large i think people are like that's my coach that's my guy i would not going into this season put babers on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination okay but it would be an important season to show like listen you've had a couple four and eight years you go from a 10 win season to five and seven it would be critical, amongst other things. Really, there's cut through everything else. The two most important things about this upcoming Syracuse football season are they've got to protect the quarterback, and they've got to cut down on penalties. Syracuse is one of the most penalized teams in college football last year, and we know how much Tommy DeVito was sacked last year, and we understand how much of that was a banged-up offensive line to start. But as time goes by, you just remember the details. You remember the numbers. You perception becomes reality. That's not fair, but in this case, it is fair. They were the most sacked team in the FBS. Tommy DeVito, Clayton Welch, whoever else got out there quarterback, and there's way too many penalties. Coach Babers recognized this. It'd be one thing if Babers looked at the overview of this and said, yeah, we're just going to forge ahead. Just blip on the radar screen. We're going to keep doing this. No, he made changes at both coordinator positions. 
One of those changes didn't really go the way he wanted it to. Zach Arnett was the defensive coordinator at Syracuse for about five minutes before he took a similar position elsewhere with Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Syracuse recovers. They get Tony White in, who is a disciple of that 3-3-5 defense they want to run. Babers looked at the offensive side of the ball, brought in somebody who has a similar philosophy to him, but opens up new recruiting areas. We've already heard some different states, some different players that Syracuse is going after. They missed out on a quarterback yesterday, Riley Leonard, the quarterback they were pursuing from Alabama. He chose Duke. Syracuse has offered a number of quarterbacks in this cycle, and they've missed. They need that. They need, to use this term, a buzzy quarterback recruit who's the next DeVito in the sense that there's a true heir apparent. There's a true understudy ready to take the job, as DeVito was for Dungey. They don't have that right now. That quarterback room beyond DeVito is a big question mark, and even with DeVito, it's a question mark, right? But what Babers did after a 5-7 and seven season, with some of the things I mentioned and some others that I didn't, is he made sweeping changes. To go into a season with a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a complete philosophy change on defense. Sticking with the high-octane, no-huddle, fast approach on offense, but changing the personnel running it, being open to new things, well, that grants you a certain amount of patience, doesn't it? That grants you a certain amount of understanding from a fan base. It'd be one thing if he just forged ahead and you were stubborn and said, these are my guys, I'm sticking to it. In that sense, I would feel like you'd be on the hot seat. I wrote about that and spoke about it on the show a number of times. But he made the changes he needed to. Now, inevitably, any sports conversation circles back to the world we're in today. With a new offensive coordinator, with a new defensive coordinator, the changes they're trying to make, and now, when are they even going to play? How are they going to play? How much prep time are they going to have? There was only two days of spring football they got in, right? Three days. They didn't even get pads on before everything shut down. We don't know, as we stand today, when someone's going to Give the all-clear for a football program to be back on campus. And remember, it's not, I'm, just, I'm not talking about early August, the normal schedule of here's camp. Any football fan knows there's a lot that goes into it before that. These guys are on campus all summer doing their own work, seven-on-seven, seven, the quarterback with the receivers. The work that goes into getting ready for training camp, then the work that's put in at training camp and the normal start of a season. These guys are trying to work out as best as they can at home. It's been very interesting to see the creative ways they're doing that and what they're sharing on Instagram and social media and things of that nature. But it's not the structured, organized way that they should get ready. Now, I think the coaching staff's been very innovative with what they're doing on Zoom and working remotely. My colleague Nate Mink wrote a great story last week about how Chandler Jones did a essentially a Zoom meeting with the team, right? They're still doing a lot of those things, but it's not the same as that person-to-person interaction, that coaching, the guidance, the work that they need right now to get ready for training camp, which is only two short months away. Three short months away, I should say. So how can we look at all this that's been piled on 
and say, boy, you don't win any games this year. We're making a change. And that may sound like an excuse. That may sound like just writing off the usual expectations that come with that. But I'm sorry, the world has changed. The conversation has changed. I think Babers had to be afforded a fair amount of slack given the changes that they made. Do you know how complicated it is to install a 3-3-5 defense in a year and make it effective? That's the thing. And I said this towards the end of last year when people were getting a little upset about what they were seeing, the fall from grace, right? It started in week two against Maryland. At this time last year, we were in the midst of one of the most hyped and exciting off-seasons Syracuse football had ever seen, ever. Season ticket sales through the roof, people excited about football again. The jersey thing would come along, the really cool videos they were putting out. They had the party at Turning Stone to unveil the new jerseys. Like They rode that wave, and they should have. That's what you do. They won 10 games, Camping World Bowl. Eric Dungy completes one of the great individual seasons and one of the great careers we had seen, frankly. But I remember just about a year ago the spring football event that we had. Larry Zonka, Floyd Little, Tom Coughlin, the record crowd that was there for spring football activities. It's the old, if you build it, they will come. If you win, they'll be back. The Fairweather fans were sweeping back. There was an excitement and a buzz about Syracuse football, and that's all great, but as we know, that can change on a dime. You go 5-7 and seven after that, take some air out of that balloon. Now, I bring all this up. I didn't even know what made me think to discuss this today, and I'll note it quickly here if you want to check this out. And these things are relative to what I'm saying. It changes yearly based on a number of factors, but... CBS Sports released their annual coaching rankings on Tuesday. At this time last year, Dino Babers, 27. This year, he's 48. You go 5-7 and seven and have the season you did last year, you're going to lose some stock, right? You go from the hot thing to the underdog that's got to rise up the rankings once again. Tom Fornelli writes this in his story on CBSSports.com, quote, speaking of coaches taking big falls, the 21 spots Babers tumbled this year was the second biggest drop. Dino's been a ro- on a roller coaster, which reflects his team's win-loss record. After two 4-8 and eight campaigns to start his tenure, the Orange jumped to 10-3 and three in 2018 and entered the 2019 season ranked in the top 25. A 5-7 and seven season didn't keep them there long, right? Pretty obvious stuff here. So that brings us to the circumstances surrounding this season. It would be enough with everything new to say, let's let this build, let's see how that works, with the pressure of this being your fifth year. Now throw in the fact that we all know what the world's like now, the fractured, splintered season I think we're going to get. The the I mean, just think of the mental shape these kids are going to be in. This is traumatic stuff what they've gone through. I think they'll welcome the chance to play football again and be back on campus if they can and get back to some semblance of normal that was in place before. I keep going back to March 12th. That's kind of the date when this really all sunk in for us. And it took a major cancellation in sports for us to be like, whoa, this is serious, right? To me, I'm still buying 
I still think he's the right coach. I still think I've seen enough of these that you can't just hit the the cancel button and hope it all changes. And by the way, he did that. Firing close friends, firing people close to him, making changes that he tried to avoid as best as he could but knew he had to make when you looked at it objectively and what was best for the program. So as I was saying last season, and I didn't forget about this here six months later, if you ask for change, then you have to be willing to accept what comes with that. And what comes with that in this instance is you got to let this go to work. Now you got to let it go to work in a coronavirus era where they had three days of spring practice and who knows how they're going to get ready for whatever season this is going to be. And that to me is what if there's only eight or nine games this year? What if it's a splintered, fractured season where they say, look, we can only play conference games or we can only do it in this circumstance? It feels like like in baseball, firing a manager after a strike-shortened season or firing an NBA coach after a 50-game season like they had in, in 1999, right? It just doesn't make sense unless there had been a buildup to that and it was just so obvious that you had to make that change. Now, that being said... No matter what the full slate, let's say they have a full slate, but no matter what the schedule is, you go 2-8 and eight if they only play 10 games. If it's just bluntly obvious that, hey, man, you made these changes, but this ain't working, that's a different conversation. That can change. So I just don't think, and I'm saying this on May 19th, we're nowhere near into the emotions that come with seeing football, reacting to football, What's before us? Think of what we had in mind this time last year if I had told you, guys, they're going to go to Maryland and they're going to lose 63-20. You would have laughed me off the radio if I had sat here at this time last year and said, boy, I'm looking at the schedule, guys. I tell you what, I, th- I think Maryland's going to blow their doors off. What would you have said then? The phones would be ringing at this radio station 24 hours a day. Well, that happened, ruining the whole, hey, game day's coming here. Get ready for that and the, and the hype and the buildup that went into the Clemson game, which there were still 50,000 people there, and we are all kind of going into that hesitantly like, ooh, what's, what's this going to be now? And well, we saw what it was. So, yeah, the stock's down a little bit. He's not on as many talk shows. I go back to something that Tommy DeVito put on social media This is back in January, and again, before coronavirus hit and changed this conversation in a lot of ways. But DeVito was putting things on social media that said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't want to misquote him, but it was basically, beware the quiet man, right? He was inferring that last year was, in the offseason, was a lot of hype, a lot of buildup. He said, this year, beware the quiet man. We're going to work quietly behind the scenes. We're going to earn what we get. He predicted it. He said, nobody's going to be doing with that this year. Nobody's going to be building us up and patting us on the back and hyping us up. We've got to go to work and get this back. Now you've got to do that in a pandemic that we're starting to come out of, certainly. But as we talk right now, you don't know when the season's starting, how many games you're going to play, what the situation's going to look like, who you're going to be on campus with, even if you are. Now, I brought this up on the show yesterday about this time, actually. Notre Dame announced yesterday they're coming back to campus two weeks early they're going to cut fall break and they're going to be home by thanksgiving 
That times out nicely for football because football season is ending right around then. You've got a bowl game, and you know there's usually a game or two that may stretch after Thanksgiving, but it's usually that Thanksgiving weekend. That's kind of like the declared end of college football. There's the Army-Navy game and a couple things that come after that, but that's smart. That's a football school saying, this is how we're going to make football work. I would imagine a number of Power 5 schools are going to follow that plan. I don't know that for sure right now. I'm just speculating on that. But that would be the smart thing to do because every expert in this, whether you consider an expert, say, Dr. Fauci or you know some dude on YouTube, whatever it is, everybody seems to be in agreement that come the fall, we don't know the exact date, but usually right around that time, cold and flu season starts kicking in again, that the coronavirus will start to be on the uptick again. I mean, this isn't going away. It's still going to be around. We still have to be smart about how we deal with it. So I would imagine a number of schools are probably going to take that Notre Dame approach and say, get here early, start this early, maybe the season starts on time, and let's get out of this before it kicks back in. Now, that brings up an entirely different question. What about the winter sports, right? How they deal with it, particularly college basketball in a town like this. But uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. we got a lot to deal with right now. So I was thinking about that today. I saw that Babers ranking, and I'm like, okay, that's fair. I get that. I understand what you're doing in that sense. But how has everything we're going through now changed the conversation of what we expect? Quote, I think based on what we've seen after five games, it's fair to say in my mind they're a quarter finalist. They're in the mix with about eight other schools. Now, that's also fair to say in that, and again, there was only five, six games in, but this would have been the case now. This would have been the case deep into the season. How many teams were trading the number one spot? How deep the sport was? Those kind of, as Quint put it, the eight to ten teams in that conversation. Here's what I think would have been the difference. Syracuse had the deepest midfield in the country. They could run two solid lines at you in a third that's not too shabby. They had Drake Porter in net, who I think was starting to emerge as one of the best goaltenders in the country. Remember, comes back next year. Their face-off spot was terrific. You need a Fogo in college lacrosse. They had two. Depending on whose day it was, the situations, the matchups, the different techniques you could put in there with Jacob Fopp, or Danny Varela. Chase Scanlon, and that, I mean, to look at that attack, and the, the player, the star that I think Scanlon would be now, the point guard mentality of Steven Rifus, the depth at that position, I think this is a team, and look, defensively, there were still some questions we started to see this with Nick Mellon out, who was the star that would emerge. But I think they would have been good enough to give their offense a chance to keep him in every game. Are they making the stops? Are they shutting people down? Are they holding teams to six, seven, eight goals? Maybe not. But they would give enough path to clear for, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, like Drake Porter I think would handle his business. And I think Mellon, by now, if healthy, would have emerged into the All-American that we had seen. And, again, it wouldn't be the shutdown defense of other teams, but it would have been good enough. But add in guys like Peter Durth. The depth players, the younger guys that would be coming in their own right now. The All-American seasons that I, I left out a bunch of names here. Guys like Jamie Trimboli were having, right? 
Syracuse had the most inside lacrosse All-Americans. When everything shut down, I understand that was only five games in, but they were ready, man. They were ready to make a run. They would have hit some skids. They would have lost a couple games. I don't think they'd be undefeated going into the tournament as, as deep as it was. But, I mean, who am I leaving out here? We mentioned Scanlon. We mentioned Trimboli. That's 17 scores already. Rifus leading the ACC in assists. Brendan Curry, Tucker Dordovic are starting to pile up points. I mentioned the Fogos. I mentioned the defense, right? I just think they were ready. So when I saw that question posed... And the smart voices that chimed in on it, I understand what they were asked to do and the Maple Leaf sports world were in here, but that's kind of the circumstance that we have to play with. At the very least, I think they're in the championship game. Knowing it's Final Four week and anything can happen, the depth that was there from some of the other teams. Am I going to sit here and tell you they absolutely positively would have won the national championship? I mean, why not? Who's gonna, are we going to dispute me on that? In my fantasy land of sports that I'm living in, it doesn't matter, right? Point being, it's good to have this conversation again. And that's what we were robbed of, sports-wise. The momentum we were on there, and I've, uh, in other conversations, included them, not in this case, so let's let's bring them in now. Because I think if when you're talking about that men's lacrosse team, You can't go too far down that conversation without bringing in the women's team because they were about to make history. That is a team, I can confidently tell you, in my make-believe sports world, that would have won the national championship because even through only five or six games, they were starting to trend that way. And They had the best goaltender in the country, Aza Goldstock. They had the best player in the country in Emily Harris, Chuck. They had beaten two of the Titans in that sport. There was a true changing of the guard feel there. They had beaten Maryland. They had beaten Northwestern. Maryland and Northwestern are the the standards in that sport on the women's side with the championships and the players they've had over the last decade. They beat them straight up. That team was trending towards playing their best lacrosse at the right times. So... To answer that question, on the women's side, unequivocally, I believe they would have won the national title. On the men's side, it's a it's a hard maybe, but I what I can convincingly say is I think they'd be a Final Four team. I really do. We'd be going into, it's early this year, right, but we would be going into Memorial Day weekend this weekend, the traditional lacrosse weekend, with Syracuse back in it. 